I have uh, made mistakes. I have made terrible choices in my life. As I look back on some of the things I've done, some of the people that I've hurt by my words or by my actions, sometimes it's my family, sometimes it's my friends, people here at GFCC, people whose feelings I've hurt, people whose uh, lives I've hurt because of things that I've said and done. I, I think about those things and I have regrets that I, I, I've made some poor choices and poor decisions. And, and, and I've thought to myself, how? how? I, folks, I can't even tell you the number of times I wake up in the morning and, and you're going to think, man, you are a horrible person and you would be right. Um, but I'll wake up in the morning and think, how could God possibly use me as a minister in his church? I mean, there's just nothing about me that God could ever possibly want to. Why would he want to use me? Knowing some of the decisions I've made, the poor choices I've made, the sins that I've committed, and people that I've hurt. And I just wonder myself, why would God ever want to use me to do anything for him? And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel that way as well. Or maybe you have done something in your past and you've thought to yourself, God could never use me because of this decision I made, because of this choice I made, because of this sin I committed that I did something in my past that was just so egregious that I can't imagine that God would ever use me for anything in his kingdom. I've heard it said that the devil will tell you two lies. There's two lies the devil will tell you. The first is, just once won't hurt. Have you ever heard this lie? Just once won't hurt. And then the devil's going to tell you another lie. When you feel terrible about, about, terrible about yourself, when you feel like you have completely messed up and ruined your life, this is the second lie he'll tell you. And that is, well, now that you've ruined your life, what would God want with you anyway? How could God possibly use you? Two lies from the pit of hell. Because it's not true. Just once does hurt. And the guilt and the shame that comes from committing that sin or, or making that poor choice, making that bad decision, the sin uh, that, that you did, that you committed, it does hurt. But you're not ruined. You're not ruined. No, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for all of us. And when we believe those lies that God would want nothing to do with us, we sell ourselves short. And we sell God short. We sell God's grace short. We sell God's mercy short. We sell God's forgiveness short. Because the Bible tells us that he is able to forgive all of our sins. And all of our wickedness. And all of our iniquities. And that when God forgives our sins, not only does he forgive them, but he forgets them. He chooses to forget everything we've ever done. Because of Jesus Christ. You know, you may look around this room and think to yourself, I don't even belong here. You may look around the room right now and you may look at other people and think, man, they've got it all together. And I, I see him up on stage, or I see her up on stage, or I see him helping out in the kids' ministry, or I see her on Thursday night at KFC, or I see them here every Sunday and they've got a big smile on their face and they know everybody. And, and you may think to yourself, I just don't fit in or I just don't belong here because of my past. Because of a decision that I made or a choice that I made or a sin that I committed and I just don't belong here. I got news for you. You're in the right place. 
If you feel less than perfect, if you feel like you are messed up beyond repair, if you feel like you have completely ruined your life, you're in the right place. Because we have a policy here. It's an unwritten policy. I don't talk about it very much, but we don't allow perfect people here. So if you are flawed, if you are broken, if you are messed up, if you messed up, you are welcome here. This is where you belong. I've heard it said, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. That's where we're all here. Every single one of us is a sinner. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. We've made choices that we regret. We've made decisions that we were not proud of. I know I have, and I don't think I'm alone. But this is where we belong, because this is where healing begins. This is where healing takes place. This is where God fixes us. So if you feel like you don't belong here, I've got news for you. You are in the right place, and we're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. If nobody else is, I am. When you think about it, though, we're not alone in this, in this feeling of regret, in this feeling of guilt, in this feeling of shame, in this feeling of like we've messed everything up. We're not alone in this. In fact, uh, one of the four greatest figures of the Old Testament really messed up. His name was Moses. Ever heard of him? Yeah, we heard of Moses. If you've seen the Ten Commandments, you know he looks like Charlton Heston. <laughs> Let my people go. Sorry, I'm sorry for that pathetic Charlton Heston imitation. But uh, Moses was one of, like I said, one of the four greatest figures of the Old Testament. And uh, he was flawed, he messed up, he made a decision, he made a choice, and he committed murder. He committed murder. And yet God used him to deliver his people Israel from Egypt, from slavery and bondage in Egypt. He's, like I said, but he's not the only one. In fact, if you look at all four of those greatest figures of the Old Testament, Abraham in Genesis, Abraham was flawed. He didn't trust God. He's a great man of faith, but he didn't trust God. Then you've got Moses who committed murder, and yet God still used him to deliver Israel. Then you've got a guy like King David, the greatest king of Israel, and yet he committed adultery and murder. Yet God called him a man after his own heart. Then you look at Elijah, the great prophet of Israel, and he suffered from depression and was even suicidal at one point. Those are four great figures of the Old Testament. They were all flawed. And you know what? It doesn't get any better in the New Testament because you've got a guy like the Apostle Peter who, you know, denied knowing Jesus three times on the night that Jesus, before Jesus was crucified. When Jesus went to the cross and he suffered for our sins, his best friend, one of his very best friends, denied even knowing him. And then you got Paul, who when he was Saul, persecuted and martyred Christians. He put Christians to death. He killed Christians before he became one of them. And yet God used him to do mighty things. So you may be thinking to yourself, I've done too much. I've gone too far. I'm too far gone. I'm not worthy of being forgiven. Uh, God could never use me to do anything and that's not true. If I look at the story of Moses, that's what we're going to look at today, the story of Moses and how God was able to use Moses 
in spite of his poor choice, in spite of his bad decision, in spite of his sin, in spite of murdering an Egyptian, he can use you. And I know he can. And I know he will. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 1. That's where we're going to be in Exodus 1, 2, and 3 today. Uh, If you didn't grab a Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It looks like this, and it's on page 40. It's on page 40 of the Bible in the chair in front of you. Or if you want to use your smartphone or tablet, use your favorite Bible app. You can follow along that way. We are in Exodus chapter 1. I want to give you a a little bit of a background on the story of Moses. In Exodus 1, uh, we left off, uh, we started a series here a few weeks ago uh, called Your Story, His Glory, and it's all about how God is able to take the, the, the bad situations and the bad circumstances in our lives and how He is able to turn them around and bring good out of them. And we started with Romans 8.28, which says that we know that in all things God works together for good for those who love Him who are called according to His purpose. So when we do God's will and when we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, He can take our bad circumstances and turn them around for good, which is an awesome thing. And then we talked about the life of Joseph for two weeks. We talked about how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and they convinced his father that he was dead And he was sold into slavery in Egypt. And then he was imprisoned, falsely accused, and imprisoned in Egypt and left in prison for two years and totally forgotten about. But God never forgot about him. In fact, God kept him in mind and was working things out for the best possible good. And then God used Joseph to save many lives. Last week we talked about Lazarus and how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And how he not only raises people from the dead, but he raises our dead dreams and disappointments. Because uh, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, were disappointed that Jesus didn't come when they called him to heal their brother. Instead, he waited. And then when he finally showed up, he did something incredible to demonstrate the glory of God. And that was to raise Lazarus from the dead. Next week, we're going to look at the greatest event in human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. How this seemingly terrible event, the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, seems like the worst event that could ever happen, and God turned it into the greatest event in human history. And so we're going to talk about that next week. Then you've got a guest preacher in two weeks, uh, and then I'll be back from vacation uh, in three weeks to start a brand new series called The Journey. And we're going to look at the book of Exodus uh, leading up to Easter. Uh, we're going to look at how uh, the journey of Israel from the promi- to the promised land kind of mirrors our own journey of faith. So we're going to start that in three weeks. So that's where we're going over the next several weeks. And then we're going to start a series on Easter Sunday called Fake News. <laughs> Oh, so controversial. Anyway, uh, so that's what we're going to do uh, starting on Easter, and then we'll, we'll just keep, keep doing what we're doing, right? Amen. Uh, so let's look at Exodus chapter 1. We're not going to read this part. We're gonna, we'll pick up reading in chapter 2, but I want to just kind of talk a little bit about what was going on in chapter 1. Uh, Joseph and his brothers uh, and his family moved to Egypt when Joseph saved many people from, from the famine. And his brothers and Joseph died, uh, and the king who had made promises to Joseph and his family, he also died, and a new king came to power, and this new king had, had no idea who Joseph was. And he completely had no idea about any of the promises that were made to Joseph's family. And so, uh, as the Israelite nation began to grow, and they, the Bible says they were fruitful and they multiplied, the king of Egypt started to get worried. That this new 
growing nation was going to side with their enemies and that was going to attack Egypt and overthrow Egypt. And when you're in power, the one thing that you want to do is keep a hold of your power. And you don't want anyone to overthrow you. And so that's what happens. So the uh, king of Egypt decides that we're going to put, we're going to make the Israelites our slaves. And so they enslave the Israelite nation and they treat them harshly. Now, one of the things is, is that God predicted that this was going to happen way back in Genesis chapter 15. If you look at here on the screen, Genesis 15, 12 and 13, it says, As the sun was setting, Abram, that became Abraham, fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. And that's exactly what happened the king of Egypt enslaved and mistreated the uh, Israelite nation. But they continued to grow. Uh, and so the king issued a decree to the Hebrew midwives that they were to kill all the baby boys. That when the baby boys were born, they were to kill them. But let the girls live. The Hebrew midwives feared God and said, nope, we're not going to do that. And this infuriated the king. So the king decided, you know what, I'm just going to tell everybody, all the Egyptians, everyone in Egypt, that if you see a Hebrew boy, a, a baby Hebrew boy, you're to kill him. And throw them in the Nile. That's what, the, that's what this king uh, told his people to do. So we pick up the story in chapter 2. All right. Birth of Moses. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she, had him, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking, uh, walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So she is paying Moses' mother to raise Moses. So this is a good deal for her. She gets to raise her baby, and she gets paid for it. Um, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So Moses is now growing up in Pharaoh's household. In the book of Acts, we read of a, of a message preached by uh, Stephen to the Sanhedrin. And this is one of the things that he said about Moses. In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, it says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So you've got Moses, who is growing up in Pharaoh's household, and he's educated, uh, he's well-spoken, uh, he is not just an ordinary guy. This is a guy that God has, has made for a purpose. And so, uh, in fact, in uh, verse 23, Stephen says this, When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. So Moses is 40 years old as we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? 
Then Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known, and sure enough it had. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So as they've been in slavery for 400 years, and now God has called to mind his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and says, I'm going to rescue my people. It's not that he forgot about them, but the time had come, the prophecy was fulfilled, and the right guy for the right job was there. But Moses has run away. And he ran away for 40 years to Midian. I don't know if he ran away because he felt guilty. I don't know if he ran away because he felt ashamed. I don't know if he was just scared. And I don't know how he felt about God, if God could, if he felt like God could ever use him. But God had a plan. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in, a flames, in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know, I think sometimes that we feel like Moses. And we ask that question. We'll hear God call to us from a, a, a proverbial burning bush. And God will say, I want you to go for me. I want you to work for me. I want you to serve me. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do that for me. I've got a job for you to do. I've got a purpose for you to live out. And we, 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 think about, we think like Moses, and we think, well, who am I? How could you use me? Lord, my past is so checkered. I mean, how could you possibly use me knowing what I've done? How could you possibly use me knowing where I've been and the things that I've said and the people that I've hurt and the things that I've done? Lord, how could you use me? Who am I that you could possibly use me? Well, let me tell you who you are. 
you're a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice of, uh, on the cross for your sins, and when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he washes away your past. He washes away your sins. If you'll believe in him and repent from your sins and confess your faith and get baptized, God will wash away your sins. He will cleanse you from all your iniquities. He will cleanse you from all your trespasses. He will forgive your many sins, and he will, give you, he will make you a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You are not the person you used to be. And so I don't know what you did. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was last month. Maybe it was last year. Maybe it was 20 years ago. And you made a choice. You made a decision. You committed a sin. You have a regret of something that you did, and you're thinking to yourself, just, I know God forgives me, but there's no way he could forgive this one thing. There's, there's no way he could forgive me for this thing that I did. There's no way that he could wash my past completely clean. I'm just not worthy. I don't deserve it. When the old has gone and the new has come, you are a new creation, completely spotless, clean, unblemished in the sight of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite pictures of the Bible is in Galatians, where it says that if anyone is, uh, uh, all of you who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. You know that I love clothes, right? I do. But the best clothes that I have, the most wonderful clothes I have, are the clothes that God has given me through His Son, Jesus. Because when I was baptized into Christ, I was clothed with Christ. And Jesus is my clothing. So that when God sees me, He doesn't see Sean. He doesn't see me in my mistakes. He doesn't see me in my poor decisions and my poor choices. He doesn't see me as a sinner. He sees his son, Jesus. And that's not, a, not because of anything I've done. It's because of God's grace and what he's done. And when, when the Bible says that God forgives our sins and remembers them no more, God has a terrible memory. He completely forgets everything you've ever done. And he washes it clean. And when the devil comes calling, and the devil comes to you and starts accusing you and saying, you remember that you did this, and you remember that you did that, and you remember those things that you said, and you remember those sins that you committed, and you start feeling bad about yourself, and you start thinking to yourself, oh, you're so right. I'm such a loser. I'm such a, a horrible sinner. I'm so terrible. God, how could you possibly use me? When I did this, and I did that, and I committed this sin, I committed that sin, how, how could you possibly use me, God? And God says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Because all of those sins that you just mentioned, all those things that you think are holding you back, all those chains that are holding you, I set you free. I forgave all those things. And I have chosen to forget all about them. And I don't hold them against you anymore. So the next time, the enemy comes calling and reminding you of your past. You remind him of his future. Because your future is bright. And God wants to use you to do amazing things for him, just like he did Moses. So I want to just kind of leave you with a couple of things. Maybe if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Just, just this one right here, okay? The past has passed. 
And God wants to use you in the present to make a difference in someone's future. The past has passed. And God wants to use you in the present to make a difference in someone's future. And He can do it. Your past doesn't have to hold you back. Your past doesn't have to define you. Your past doesn't have to, doesn't have to tell you who you are. Your past doesn't define you, and your mistakes don't mean that you can't serve God. Don't let your choices, mistakes, and sins be an excuse for not serving God. Moses said, who am I? Who am I? God said, you are my chosen instrument to bring deliverance. And so you may say to yourself, who am I? Lord, who am I? And he says to you, you are my child. And I have a great purpose and plan for your life. You may say, who am I? In the things that I've done, and the sins I've committed, and the mistakes that I've made, and the choices that I've made, who am I? God says, you're my child. You've got to start listening to the right voices. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Listen to the voice of your father who calls you his child. And I've told you this before, and I'll never stop telling you this, that when God calls you his child, he says, you are a child of the king. And what do you call the child of the king? A prince or a princess. You are God's chosen child. You are his chosen prince, his chosen princess, and he loves you very much. And he wants to use you to make a difference in someone's life. So don't let your past, don't let your mistakes, your sins, your choices, don't let those define you. Instead, let God define you and tell you who you really are. You are his child. And when we do that, when we let God define us, when we let God call us his children, when we let God tell us who we really are, well, that's when he can use your story for his glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not abandon us, that you do not leave us, you do not walk away from us because of our mistakes, because of our sins, because of our errors, because of our poor choices and decisions. That God, rather you forgive us through Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for the forgiveness that you give. Help us Help us, O oh God, not to take it for granted, but help us instead to strive to live lives that please you in holiness and righteousness. Break those chains, Father God. Break those chains that hold us back. Break those chains that tie us down. Break those chains of the past that, that tell us that we're no good. Break those chains that tell us that we're unworthy. Silence those voices that tell us that you can't use us. Instead, help us to hear your voice above it all. That crying out from the burning bush, that voice calling to us from the burning bush, saying, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I forgive you. I love you. And I want to use you to make a difference for me. So Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends today that they would hear your voice telling them who they really are, your children. Thank you for all that you've done, for your holy word. In 
Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.